0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. Uh, You know, folks, so happy. uh, July's right around August coming, and that means college football. And with that, we are so lucky to have on the one and only Phil Steele. You know him from the Phil Steele uh, College Football Preview magazines year in and year out. Phil, thank you so much for the time. And what year are we on with the magazines? I'm on year number 28, hard to believe, 28 years already for the magazine, uh, but uh, each and every year we, we try to make it a little bit bigger, a little bit better. Well, Phil, thank you again for coming on and talking a little about BC football and the ACC in general. First of all, let me how, what do you think of the magazine this year and what was the process like in the spring and summer? I always like to hear about the behind the scenes with you.
1: Yeah, and I think the best way to look at it uh, would be uh, just I'll explain how we uh, one one team was, uh, and that was USC. Uh, I write the magazine in three parts, and the first part is a postseason write-through. And what I do is read every article that's written about the team for the entire season, really get into a good uh, all the ebbs and flows of each position, uh, and feel you know like I was just completely immersed in the team. And then I write it. Uh, the uh, first part is. Um, was the uh, saying what kind of shape was the unit coming into last year what happened last year And what kind of shape are they heading into this year and at that point USC was middle of the pack in the pack 12 because they only had 11 returning starters first year head coach on Lincoln Riley, and of course with first year head coaches they have to learn the players, the players have to learn new schemes, don't have a first full recruiting class coming in so they're about middle of the pack. Now the second write-through process of the magazine is in the pre-spring, right before spring practice starts. We add in the freshmen, any signees coming in, any players hitting the portal and make some adjustments to the power ratings, make some adjustments to the tax. And then the third one is after I talk to the head coach and this year I talked to probably 120 of the 131 head coaches. and Ironically, I talked to Lincoln Riley the day they signed Jordan Addison. Now all of a sudden that USC team had Caleb Williams, a quarterback, his quarterback from Oklahoma who knows the system, my number one rated quarterback out of high school last year, uh, number two rated wide receiver out of high school last year, Mario Williams, also come over from Oklahoma. Travis Dye, a 1,000-yard rusher from Oregon. Jordan Addison, the Blitnikoff winner at wide receiver. And when I talked to Riley, one of my main concerns was the offensive line and he said he really liked the top end experience they had and didn't expect to inherit this much talent which made me feel better defensively brought in about 13 transfers including Shane Lee who started 13 games as a freshman for Alabama and now all of a sudden USC vaulted up to my number one most improved team in the country and a legitimate contender in the Pac-12 so it's a seven month process writing the magazine Uh, we start the Sunday after Thanksgiving it goes all the way through that first week of June and uh, it's uh, very intense the Entire seven uh, months.
0: And right, right at the bat, where can people get your magazine and or, or online view it?
1: Well, I appreciate that, Michael. Uh, the magazine. That, unfortunately, this year is a, a paper shortage, taking you behind the scenes once again, and the they weren't able to print the entire run of the magazine. So we only had half the run printed in June, and those went to, uh, exclusively to Barnes and Noble. So. If you're out and about, save your gas money. It's only at Barnes & Noble right now. A couple weeks from now, the second run just got completed. They'll be hitting the other locations. But right now, it's exclusively at Barnes & Noble. Or you can go online to, at philsteele.com. That's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. And when you go there, you get the hard copy or the digital magazine. And the digital magazine, we actually update uh, all the way through the start of the season. So, for example, for Boston College, uh, we already have noted in the text on the digital magazine that uh, Christian Mahogany is out for the year, even though in the original magazine, Christian Mahogany in there as a returning starter. So we, we keep you up to date on all the changes with the digital, and that's PhilSteel.com.
0: Yeah, that's very, very cool. Um, Phil, as you were speaking, first of all, right off the bat, you got me thinking of USC, Lincoln Riley. That was a huge move. Were you surprised that he went from Oklahoma to USC? And what do you think it was his rationale behind the scenes to make that jump? I think cause a lot of people had their kind of scratching their heads a little bit. They're both great programs. Yeah, well, I
1: think, uh, you know, talking to Coach Riley, uh, he's just thrilled to be in los angeles uh, figures that the, he can recruit anybody anywhere to come to la with the advent of the nil coming out once again more uh, opportunities for nil in los angeles and he just thought it was a, a program that had underachieved and that he could take it to new heights so i think that was probably the main thing uh he's, he definitely enjoys los angeles
0: okay so with that let's go across the country to chestnut hill and we talked about it, I mean, now I was prepping for this interview, I thought to our conversation this time last year, and I think you had BC nine wins, of course, QB injury, Phil Dracovic and such, and uh, you know, Phil, in this part of the country, a disappointing uh, season for BC in terms of six and six, and no bowl game, uh, a bowl game appearance, but no, they didn't play the game due to COVID. So I guess, what is your general take on the 2021 BC Eagles?
1: 2021, I think would have been an entirely different year, had Phil Djokovic been healthy the entire season. I mean, they opened up, excuse me, an outstanding 4-0. They gave Clemson a great game, even with a backup quarterback, and then uh, it, it became apparent that they were a different team without Jerkovic. and even when he returned late in the year while they beat Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, uh, Jerkovic was not anywhere near 100%, could barely, you know, about 50% grip strength on the football. And it showed in the stats, uh, you know, 3-12 against Wake Forest, 10-24 against Florida State. But it also showed how gutsy he was coming back uh, and playing those games. But I think had he's been around the entire year, uh, Boston College probably would have got to that nine-win level and maybe even upset Clemson on that day uh, that they ended up losing by six. Remember, at the end of the game, they were driving, uh, even had a chance to go ahead and then uh, had the unfortunate fumble deep in Clemson territory. So I thought B.C., I don't know if I'd say underachieved, but uh, had some uh, tough circumstances in the fact that they lost their quarterback.
0: Yeah, I'm happy we don't have to go to Clemson. I think we went for three years in a row, Phil, uh, due (laughs) due to COVID issues there. So I'm I'm just happy to play the game in Chestnut Hill this year (laughs) on October 8th. but uh, going back to BC, your take on Phil as well as a QB, a lot of hype this, this preseason now going into this year, just talk about where you expect him to kind of how the season he's supposed to have. And if he projects to the next level in the NFL.
1: Oh, he definitely projects to the next level. I mean, he's five to He's got the arm strength. He showed that uh, he can stand in the pocket and take a shot. He's got a big time arm and he's faster than uh, people really think. You know, he's, had some, He had that big year two years ago. He was headed towards a big year last season. And then, unfortunately, the injury hit. And it really affected him statistically as well. You know, here's a guy that's going to end up completing 60 to 65% of his passes. That only hit 54% due to the injury. I think if he comes back and has the type of year that I expect, he looks like a first-round draft pick next year.
0: Looking now, 2022, what's your general outlook on the team for BC this year?
1: Well you got to be high on the skill positions on offense. I mean, Jerkovic's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Pat Garwell really impressed me last year. He had some big games. That Missouri game, he was super impressive. Topped 1,000 yards rushing. You look at that receiving core. Uh, Jalen Gill was a little banged up last year, but I expect him to really emerge. Zay Flowers, one of the top wide receivers in the country. They bring in that tight end and George Takis coming over from Notre Dame. So I love the skill players at Boston College. My biggest question's got to be. The offensive line. They lose all five starters from last year. And I think Mahogany was going to be, well, Mahogany's on my All-American squad. I thought he was going to be one of the better offensive linemen out there. And losing him, I think, is is a big hole. So how quickly that offensive line comes along is going to be the key to the offense. Defensively, I thought they got pushed around a little bit on the defensive line in ACC play. I mean, allowing five yards per carry uh, in the ACC, I think, will be stronger up front. Zilla uh, at the defensive end spot is a guy that uh, is 260 pounds. Uh, he can hold the point and uh, get pressure on the quarterback. I think he'll have a bigger year. The linebacking core looks solid, and the secondary – Uh, I actually rate number 48 in the country, which isn't surprising because you know Halfley knows how to coach a secondary. So I think the defense will be improved. The offense has skilled players. My biggest question is going to be that offensive line. Uh, If they can come around quickly, then I think B.C. could have a pretty good year.
0: And then, just I always like to look the first couple games of the year. How big is that BC Rutgers game, the first game, and then Virginia Tech, and then uh, maybe a little break with Maine, and then uh, BC versus Florida State. So those are the first four games. Where do you kind of break that down, and how important is it for BC to get a hot start?
1: Oh, very important this year to get the hot start because you look at the uh, the back end of the schedule. We're playing at NC State, at Notre Dame, at Wake Forest, all in the final. Uh, six games of the year makes it pretty tough. Of course, playing Louisville and Clemson are tough in October as well. So that's a, you know, in October they play three really uh, among the top ACC teams. So a 4 0 start would be great. Uh, a 3 0 1 start would be preferred as well. But, uh, I've got him a, a touchdown favorite against Rutgers. I think BC's okay. a stronger team. is doing a phenomenal job at Rutgers and he, he has his best team in his three years, but he did lose a lot from last year's squad. But I think Rutgers is probably one step away from getting to a bowl. And I know they made a bowl last year. Remember, they had a losing record. And then uh, hastily went and got, went, played the bowl game against Wake Forest. That's right. Virginia yeah. Tech, I think, is going to be the key game here. You know, VT as a first-year head coach. They're learning new schemes, both offensively and defensively. Uh, Blackburg's an extremely tough place to play. Crowd's going to be loud. But uh, I think that's one game that B.C. could potentially go in.
0: Yeah, that Blacksburg game is eight o'clock as well, so that's that will be interesting. September tenth, Blacksburg. Saying, man.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: okay, uh, you know Phil, you got me thinking. We've talking about Rutgers and kind of Northeast football recruiting. What's your take on BC recruiting and going against the you know the Rutgers, the Pittsburghs, uh, the Syracuse's, even the Penn States of the world up here in the Northeast? Yeah,
1: I think they got the right coach to do that. Jeff Halfley's a young, energetic coach. Uh, pretty much tells it like it is too, which I think recruits really like to hear. And uh, I, I think that he's a guy that can come in and get solid recruiting classes each year and be able to compete against those guys. So I'm, I'm, I like Halfley as a not only as a coach but as a recruiter.
0: And, you know, we're kind of in a B.C. bubble up here in the Northeast. We're probably a little biased. Uh, Realistically, you know, we talk about eight wins, nine wins. In in your take from a national perspective – What's the outlook on Boston College? Can it, you know, can it turn into a Clemson five, 10 years down the road? Or will we do BC fans, should they moderate their outlook and you know kind of expect a seven and five and maybe a a good year every four or five years when they get 10 wins, something like that. What's your general, the national take on Boston College? Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC Alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally including State Street Bank Amaj Pharma and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com
1: No, I, I know that we went through uh, what, uh, under Adazio there was a uh, 5-7 win season, the 6-win season and a 3-win season and uh, in, in a couple of those years, they could easily have got to the 8 or 9 one level. I think Jeff Hanfley will have them up there, and I, I think the potential is there uh, to compete for the, the top in the ACC. Now, granted, we don't know where the conferences are going to be three, four years from now, so it's tough to look that far in advance with all these conferences shifting around.
0: And then with the BC, excuse me, the scheduling in the ACC, what are your thoughts on the three three five outlook? And I know not this year, but getting rid of divisions going forward after that. And BC's partners is Miami, Pitt, and Syracuse.
1: Wow. Well, Miami's not a great partner, neither is Pitt, because playing those two each year, uh, those are going to be tough games. Pat Narduzzi's doing a phenomenal job at Pitt, and uh, I think Mario Cristobal, all you have to do look at the current Oregon roster that they have uh, loaded with talent. Crystal did a phenomenal job recruiting in Oregon. He'll do a phenomenal job recruiting in Miami, which he's very familiar with. Syracuse isn't too bad. I uh, like having them as a yearly, but uh, at least Clemson's not one of the yearly ones, so uh, you got to look <laughs> at it that way. I, I think it, I think
0: Boston College Fair is okay there. I think they're trying to go off go after some old Big East fives of that grouping, You know, kind of like the northern division of the ACC in a way. Um, Okay, Phil, before we put a bow tie on B.C., before we go to the ACC, just want to get your record prediction. What do you think, the 2022 B.C. Eagles?
1: They were a tough one for me to forecast. Uh, You know, if everything breaks well, uh, I could see this team getting to to seven, eight wins this year. But, uh, you know, the potential is also there for a six-win season. I think they'll be a double-digit favorite at Notre Dame, at NC State, and home against Clemson and a touchdown, I mean underdog, I should say, against those three, and then a touchdown underdog against Wake Forest and Florida State. So that's five games that are going to be tough this year. doesn't mean they're unwinnable, but I would put them as a touchdown plus dog. Uh, All the other games fall into the winnable category. Now, you're not going to necessarily win all those. So if I had to come up with a hard number, the over-under on Boston College is 6.5. I think that's priced accurately. Uh, If they can keep Phil Cherkovic healthy and the offensive line develops, I would go over the total. If the offensive line doesn't keep Jerkovic healthy and they end up with a backup quarterback again, then they probably go uh, to, to the 6.5 or, or to the 6th level, I should say. But it's a, it's a tough team to forecast this year. I, I think they will make a bowl game, though.
0: And the last question to beat the schedule, we have a lot of UConn fans in our neighborhood here. Uh, back door. what's your take on the BC-UConn matchup, and how big a favorite is BC in that game? <laughs>
1: Uh, I've got I've got. See, uh, only a 21 point favorite in that game. Connecticut's coming in fresh off a of bye. Uh, Boston College is off weight force they've got Duke on deck, so that's a plus there. And going over Connecticut with uh, Coach Mora, uh, he's going to have them competing on a weekly basis. They've got uh, pretty good quarterbacks with Taquan Roberson coming over from Penn State, Tyler Fumanica coming over from or being there last year and and doing pretty well last year until until he got injured. I think they will be a much more competitive Connecticut team, but I got BC a three touchdown favorite in
0: that one. Okay, so it sounds like you like a high potential BC, maybe eight wins. That that you know that I think a lot of BC fans would be happy with eight wins, maybe even nine wins. That'd be a, a big success and a nice step up for Coach Halfley.
1: It sure would, and uh, I think he is going to be the offensive line development, the health of Phil uh, Jerkova, keeping him healthy.
0: Okay, Phil, a couple of minutes before I let you go here. Just now, the ACC is a general. What BC perspective, what should we watch out? What other teams should we fear? Uh, What's going on in the ACC?
1: Well, last year was an unusual year for the ACC. Clemson didn't even make the ACC title game, for crying out loud. And and one of the reasons I have for that is that last year, when I talked to the head coaches uh, going over the squads with them, uh, almost every one of them, 90%, said this is the most experienced we've ever been due to COVID. Everybody had everybody back. The only uh, teams that really lost anybody last year were the, biggie, the big boys that lost players in the draft. Uh, Clemson didn't make the ACC title game. Ohio State didn't make the Big Ten title game. Oklahoma didn't make the Big 12 title game. Heck, even Alabama lost to A&M, struggled against both Florida and LSU, and should have lost to Auburn last year. So the big boys struggled last year when everybody had a big advantage on them, experience-wise. This year, as opposed to everybody having 17 to 21 returning starters, it's more of a level playing field. And I think Clemson returns the power in the ACC. They've got the, they'll have improved quarterback play with DJ Uyenglele, who dropped 20 to 25 pounds this offseason, and they worked on him getting the ball out of his hands faster. Offensive coordinator Streeter told me that uh, he felt he was a vastly improved QB this year, and if he's not, they've got Kate Klubnik right behind him, who's my number one quarterback out of high school and looked pretty good in the spring. They've got a dynamic backfield with Shipley, Pace, and Maffa. Uh, the receiving core looks solid, and the offensive line will be improved. And defensively, I mean, that defensive line's the best in the country, which means they have one of the best defenses. I've got Clemson favorite in all their ACC games. Their biggest contender in the Atlantic Division this year Mark, is uh, NC State. NC State has got ten returning starters on defense. They actually have my number two rated linebacking core in the country and number three rated secondary in the country. They have a solid offensive line and a veteran quarterback in Devin Leary. Uh, they do have to play at Clemson, which is why I didn't pick them to win that division, but I think they'll be a true threat. You can never count out Wake Forest and Dave Clausen. He rips me every year for pick, finishing higher than I picked him the previous year. You know, he goes, where are you picking us this year, Phil? I thought I had him last year, Mike. I, I picked Wake Forest second in the Atlantic. So the only way that he beats me is by actually winning the Atlantic and topping Clemson. So what does he do? He wins the Atlantic and tops Clemson and, <laughs> and ribs me about it again this year. So I think you have to consider as a contender. And I think with Louisville, much like B.C., if their quarterback, Malik Cunningham, stays healthy, they have the potential to contend in the Atlantic Division. So those are, to me... Uh, the four teams besides Boston College that would be at the top. Now, in the Coastal Division, I think it comes down to Miami of Florida against Pitt. Pitt does have to play Miami in the season final, which is an advantage of Miami. But Miami also plays Clemson during the regular season and Texas A&M on the road. Uh, I think that's going to be a great battle. Miami's got very strong at the line of scrimmage. You know, I talked about the job Coach Constable's doing or did at Oregon uh, recruiting-wise. And he's the guy that took a finesse team and turned him into a power team at the line of scrimmage. Well, here at um, Miami, when I talked to him about both the offensive and line, defensive lines, he liked what he inherited, and plus he supplemented with some transfers they actually have my 13-rated defensive line and my number 35-rated offensive line. Plus, they've got one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Tyler Van Dyke, and they get Pitt at home. Pitt, however, with Narduzzi has got my number two defensive line in the country. Every year, he loses two, three defensive line in the NFL, and they're just as dominant. I mean, last year, they had 54 sacks. This year, the unit returns practically intact. It's a top, uh, my number two defensive line. They've got a good quarterback in Keaton Slovis coming in from USC, an improved offensive line. And last year on the ACC road, they won all four games by an average of 23 points per game. I've got Pitt and Miami battling it out for the Coastal. I put the other five teams in the Coastal uh, below those two. I think it comes down to Pitt and Miami for the Coastal.
0: What a great job Pitt's been doing, too. They, they, you know, they remind me a lot of BC and the Northeast. And uh, just a, Narduzzi, as you mentioned, just a great program. Really turned into a year-in-year-out contender.
1: Yeah, developing a defensive line like he does is probably the key. I mean, having a dominant defensive line is uh, really the key to a defense. It helps your secondary cover better, and uh, it takes you not able to run on them. And that's uh, really been the key for Narduzzi. He's done a phenomenal job there.
0: And then just the ACC as a general now, Phil. You know, what's your take on conference realignment down the road? I know it's tough to predict, but just obviously the acc is not in the strongest position what's your how do you think this shakes out in the next couple of years in the conference as a whole
1: we'll see where the next shoe is to drop yeah. i mean it could go a number of directions uh You know, if somehow Clemson was to leave the ACC for the SEC, then I'd say, oh, it might be a a little struggle. But
0: in the same token, if they get a couple, I have no clue where it's headed, Mike. Yeah, no one
1: uh, does. If you asked me uh, about the conferences last year at this time, I would say, hey, the Big 12's done. I mean, they they lost Oklahoma and Texas. There's no way that they survive. And now the Big 12 looks like it may be a predator on the Pac-12. Who knows even how that's going to shake out? So uh, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen. Maybe a couple of press... Presidents of the schools do, maybe a couple of conference commissioners do, but uh, I,
0: have, I have no clue how it's going to work out. And then last couple minutes here, just Phil your national perspective. Who who are we watching? Who are the big contenders? Obviously, got Alabama, Georgia. Who else uh, will emerge this year? You think 2022?
1: Yeah, I went way out on a limb here, Mike, for my final four. I uh, I took Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson. So how's that for being a risk taker? There you go. But, uh, I think when you look. Yeah, When you look at Bama and Ohio State, they look like the two best teams in the country. Ohio State's got the best offense and improved defense. Bama's got the best defense and a top-five offense to go along with it, and I think that would be a great title game. If you're looking for somebody to sneak into the party, uh, somebody nobody's looking at to make the title game right now, I'm going to go with Utah. And uh, Utah showed last year that they could play with Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Probably should have won that thing. Did your sure Utah's strong at the line of scrimmage. As always, under winning him. They've got my number 6 rated offensive line, number 17 rated defensive line. They also have my number 11 linebackers, number 12 DBs, so a top-notch defense. Offensively, Cam Rising is back. Uh, they opened up with two losses in their first three games last year, but then Rising took control of the quarterback position, and they were a different team after that. They've like a number 12 set of running backs to go along with that top-notch offensive line. And when I look at their schedule this year, I've got them favored in all their games. The only game I, I've got rated as a toss-up is the Oregon game, and that's a team that last year they beat 38-10 to and 38-7. to So it wouldn't surprise me if Utah ran the table this year. And if they do, an undefeated back-12 champ will make the playoff because Georgia and Clemson, the loser of the SEC title game, would have one loss.
0: Very, very interesting. You're right. Utah Utes, a lot of times you forget about them, but they've emerged the last 10 years as well. What a program and a great addition for the Pac-12. Uh, all right, Phil, thank you so much. And before we let you go, just I always love to hear, give us the, my listeners your day-to-day life on our Saturdays in the fall. Just love to hear your routine and how many games you watch. I always find it fascinating.
1: I appreciate that, Michael. Yeah, I try to stay on top of all 131 teams, so i got to set up where I have 12 TVs in front of me, and I am actually watching 12 games all day long, all the way until that doggone Hawaii game ends at 3 in the morning. <laughs> I mean, check out page 2 of the magazine. It's got a picture of the 12 T V set up, and uh, it's, uh, it's one of those where Saturday, just don't walk in my office and try to talk to me because I'm trying to follow 12 games at the same time, and it keeps you busy all day long, but it's, uh, it is definitely a labor of love.
0: When do you do the yard work or the chores that's for Sunday or the rest of the week, I assume?
1: (laughs) Somebody else, probably. (laughs) I'm working 102 hours a week during football season, so it's it's tough for me.
0: There there you go. There you go. All right, Phil, last thing. Where can we get your publications online and in print? One more time and just give us a shout-out.
1: I appreciate that, Michael. Once again, if you're out looking for the magazine, save your gas money, head to Barnes & Noble right now and pick it up. And they've, they've been selling out at some locations, so make sure you get it right now. Or you could probably at the start of August get it at other locations. 352 pages, three to four times the amount of any other college football preview. And go to philsteele.com, and when you go there, uh, starting today, Michael, we're putting up a different blog every day. We haven't put up blogs for a while, but now I've used the summer to start writing a few, and we're going to put up a different one every day. But you can buy the hard copy of the magazine at Philsteel.com. You can buy the digital version of the magazine at Philsteel.com, which is updated with all the changes that happened since we sent it to the press. And you can also get information on my newsletter and website and more. But that's philsteele, S-T-E-E-L-E.com.
0: Congrats, Phil. Thank you so much for the time, and we look forward to hearing back from your pride next summer as well.
1: Sounds great, Mike. A lot of fun
0: talking football with you today. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com.